Welcome to Anchor Point, where we believe that the next 30 minutes could change your life forever. So join us to consider the greatest message ever heard, the good news of the gospel, as well as sound scriptural teaching for believers, all based on the Word of God, the anchor for our souls. You might not be too familiar with the life of King Solomon in the Old Testament. Solomon was the son of the well-known and beloved King David. He wrote many beautiful Psalms and Proverbs as well as the book of Ecclesiastes. In this book, Solomon explains how he was determined to find out what life was all about. He had been given the gift of wisdom from the Lord and was known as the wisest man who ever lived. And on top of all of that, he grew up in the lap of luxury in a palace with servants at his beck and call. But Solomon wanted more, so he pursued all the pleasures of youth, wine, parties, dance, women's song, and all that he wanted. He went in for a higher learning and intellectual stimulation, he initiated grand work projects, the envy of any entrepreneur, and he studied nature and planted beautiful gardens and arboretums. He involved himself with agriculture and architecture. He did it all, you might say. So did he find happiness? Well, no, he didn't. Listen to his pitiful statement. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. In today's language, he would say, meaningless, all meaningless, is this all that there is? A sad conclusion, isn't it? But he was right. Yes, Solomon discovered something that we would all do well to admit. There just isn't any true and lasting satisfaction in what we can acquire or experience in this world, and we hope that you will listen to Anchor Point today as the evangelist Mr. Dan Shutt examines Solomon's assessment and provides for all of us the solution that only God can give. Ecclesiastes 1 and 1, the words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem. Vanity of vanities, saith the preacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. I can't imagine using the same word five times in the same sentence. And when I grew up, a vanity was a thing in the bathroom where you washed your hands. So what does Solomon have in mind here? There's no point in preaching about something if people don't understand, right? What does he mean? This word vanity just means emptiness. Emptiness of emptiness. All is emptiness. Now, I want to read a little about how he came to this conclusion. So look at chapter 2. And verse 1, I said in my heart, go to, now I will prove thee with mirth. That's with humor. Therefore enjoy pleasure, and behold, this also is emptiness. I said of laughter, it is mad, and of mirth, what doeth it? I sought in my heart to give myself to wine. Verse 4, I made me great works, I builded me houses, I planted me vineyards, I made me gardens and orchards, I planted trees in them of all kinds of fruit, I made me pools of water. Verse 7, I got me servants and maidens. Verse 8, I gathered me also silver and gold. Verse 9, so I was great and increased more than all that were before me in Jerusalem. Verse 10, 
and whatsoever mine eyes desired, I kept not from them. Sounds like a great life. Verse 11, Then I looked on all the works that my hands had wrought, and on the labor that I had labored to do. And behold, all was vanity and vexation of spirit. There was no profit. There was nothing to be gained under the sun. I want you to turn to the New Testament for two little readings. John chapter 4. John 4 and verse 3, Jesus left Judea and departed again into Galilee, and he must needs go through Samaria. Then cometh he to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near to the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. By the way, I think there's something really important about the fact that Jacob gave this to his son Joseph. What was Joseph's name down in Egypt? He was the savior of the world. Remember in the famine, he laid up the corn, and through his wisdom, he was able to be the preserver of mankind. And isn't it interesting that thousands of years later, to Joseph's well, comes the savior of the world. I just really enjoy that little thought. I thought I'd mention it to you. Now Jacob's well was there, verse 6, Jesus therefore being wearied with his journey, sat thus on the well, and it was about the sixth hour. There cometh a woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus said unto her, Give me to drink. Now there's a lot of conversation that goes on here, but I want you to look at verse 13. Jesus answered and said unto her, Whosoever drinketh of this water shall thirst again, but whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst, but the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. Now, one last reading in John 10, and a little verse that I really love. I hope I love all of the verses in the Bible, but this is a good one. John 10 and verse number 10, the Lord Jesus has been talking about being the door and being saved. I just want to read the end of verse 10. I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. What does that mean? Well, there's some ways of reading this text, and it's a little difficult to know from the Greek text just exactly how to capture the real sense of it. Some have translated it like this. I am come that they might have life and that they might have life that is worth living. I like that, because I think that's exactly what the Lord Jesus did. He came not to give emptiness to life. He gave fullness to life, life that means something, life that's worth living. I just ran across something recently, and I really like this too. I am come that they might have life, and that they might have a life that satisfies. Uh, recently, my wife and I, last summer, or two summers ago really, we're up at a little town called Petoskey, Michigan. I don't know if you've ever heard of it. It's in the northwest corner. It's a very beautiful place. And I'm not in charge of the uh, Pure Michigan campaign to encourage all of my Canadian friends to come to Michigan and spend all their wealth in Michigan. Nonetheless, Petoskey's a very picturesque little place on Lake Michigan. And a lot of us go there and really enjoy it. And uh, one afternoon, about lunchtime, we were looking around for a place to eat lunch, and a very nice person just walking by on the street 
said, you know, there's a place around the corner and you'll really enjoy going in there. So we went along and went in and sat down. And once I sat down, I, I looked around. It was quite an old building and very tastefully done, but it still looked like it was back from the 1920s, maybe. But on a mantle over a fireplace was a very striking picture. It was the picture of a man that most of you, if you were awake in class, uh, will remember a man named Ernest Hemingway. Any of you read Ernest Hemingway? Maybe you read Farewell to Arms or For Whom the Bell Tolls or The Old Man in the Sea, whatever. But here was a picture, a very striking man, of Ernest Hemingway. So I said to the lady that was was there, I said, um, can you tell me why the, the picture is there? And she said, well, that's really simple. She said, Mr. Hemingway grew up in Chicago, and uh, but his father was a well-to-do man, and he had a he had a cottage on Walloon Lake, right in the area. Actually, she said, right near where you're sitting, Mr. Hemingway used to come in and sit and and have his lunch. And so, you know, that, that was pretty cool stuff, you know. But you know, I began thinking, telling my wife. My wife is from New Jersey and not as familiar, maybe, with some of our Midwestern stories. But I began telling her a little bit about the life of Ernest Hemingway. He was a man, the year before I was born, that won the Pulitzer Prize for fiction. It doesn't get any better than that, except that the next year, in 1954, he won the Nobel Prize for Literature. Uh, there's, a, there's a double for you. You cannot imagine an author who had achieved more. And I'm not here necessarily to endorse everything about his writing, but it's good writing. It's very interesting, and he's a very talented man. In spite of these great achievements, in 1961, in Ketchum, Idaho, Ernest Hemingway took a shotgun and he committed suicide. And you know, I'm always haunted by stories like that. Because in this world, it seems like everybody is struggling for the brass ring. Everybody wants the big achievement. Everybody wants to, you know, I'm not saying that everybody wants to be the prime minister or everybody wants to be the pope. I'm not getting at that, but it's disheartening, isn't it? The, the people often who get the most find themselves the least satisfied. Just look around in our world. And I don't always preach like this, but sometimes you need to just preach what's on your heart. This is what I'm thinking about. Just ask this question. If you can't be satisfied with a Nobel Prize, if you can't be satisfied with a Pulitzer Prize, where on earth can real satisfaction be found? You know, this man that we have read about, Solomon, he was a smart guy. I'm just trying to put it in plain language. This was a, a man that God gave incredible wisdom to. And this man was a wealthy man. I don't know where this happened in his life. Maybe you can help me with that. Uh, I think it's later on in his life because Clearly, he's reached a position of great power and influence and money. So I take it that he's a middle-aged man. And I hope you notice that list that I read in Ecclesiastes chapter 2. I, I mean, my response to that list is, <laughs> go get them. <laughs> I mean, that, that, you know, you could, you know, it's like a football team puts up their goals. You know, we want to win 11 games. You know, we want to win the Super Bowl, you know. And, and Solomon has won the Super Bowl of life, right? He's won the World Series. He's, you know, got the Stanley Cup. He's got it all. But what does he say? He says, this is meaningless. This means absolutely nothing. Emptiness of emptiness. All is empty, says the preacher. You know, there are young people 
in this meeting. I guess I'm going to address this to you. You know, the people tonight trying to find happiness in the, in the entertainment world, in the music world. Wouldn't it be great to be Lady Gaga or Miley Cyrus? Or, but, you know, I mean, like them or not, I mean, these are people who are making millions and millions of dollars and they're doing whatever they want. What about that world? Does that world really make people happy? Have any of you ever heard of the 27 Club? Anybody know what that is? If you haven't heard it, I'm going to tell you what it is. It's the 27 Club. It's the age that many famous singers and musicians have died. Brian Jones from the Rolling Stones drowned at 27, probably murdered. Jimi Hendrix, maybe the greatest guitar player ever, died of asphyxiation due to drugs, 27 years old. Janis Joplin, heroin overdose. Jim Morrison of the Doors, drug overdose. Kurt Cobain of Nirvana, suicide. Amy Winehouse, alcohol and drug abuse, 27 years old. In fact, there's so many of them. They call it the 27 Club. I think Keith Richards, I don't know how he lived so long, and Mick Jagger wrote a song back in 1965, Can't Get No Satisfaction. You might as well write it over the whole business. They've got money, and they've got women, and they've got drugs, and they've got the world by the tail, but they're not satisfied. Now, maybe you say to me, well, but Mr. Shutt, you know, that those people are just aberrants, you know? They're just one in a million. You know, I, that's, not what, that's not what my aims are in life. I just want to make money. I just want to be comfortable. You know, that, that would satisfy me. I, I don't need a Lamborghini. Just, just give me a nice, you know, Honda Accord. I don't know. And I don't need to live in Versailles. Just get me a split level on, you know, on the outskirts where there's no crime. Just, just material things. That would be enough for me. Reminds me of a story about Abraham Lincoln, one of our great presidents in the U.S., maybe our greatest. He was walking down the street one day with his children, and they were fighting. He had two boys, and they were having a brawl, practically, as the president was leading him along the street. And uh, a man actually stopped him and said, what's wrong with your boys? Abraham Lincoln thought for a minute, and he said this. I want you to listen to this. He said, what's wrong with my boys is what's wrong with all the world. I have three walnuts in my pocket, and my boys want two each. Isn't that good? I really like that. But isn't that what this world's about? Just wanting a little bit more. I think it was John D. Rockefeller. Somebody asked him how much money is enough. That was his answer. Just a little bit more. See, I really just want to cover something really simple. There is nothing in this world that can truly satisfy. I think God has designed us that way. There's actually a place in every heart some have called it a hole. and It's the God. I don't know if this is the right way to say it. So if you don't care for this, forgive me, because I'm just trying to be clear tonight. Somebody has said there's a God-shaped hole in every heart that only God can fill. And I'm not sure there's anything wrong with that statement. Because we are his creatures. We're not his children if we're not saved. But we are his creatures. He has designed us to enjoy Him and to enjoy fellowship with Him and to find our satisfaction in Him and in Him alone. And, and I'll tell you, folks, if there's anything else that's being substituted, it doesn't fit in the hole. It's a square peg in a round hole, and it doesn't fit. I want to think, just for a couple of minutes, i only got about seven or eight minutes left. This is something I really want to talk to you about. What's the most important thing about the gospel. What would you say? What would you say the most important thing about the gospel is? Hmm. 
I'm going to guess that there are going to be a number of people are going to turn in a card that says, people getting saved. Do you like to see people get saved in the gospel? I do. Me too. And all of us do. But I'm going to tell you something. That's not the most important thing in the gospel. Do you know what the most important thing in the gospel is? God must be satisfied. Say, what are you talking about? I'll say it again. The single, the overarching, the absolute center and heart, the beating soul of the gospel is not people getting saved because there are things that have to happen before people can be saved. And I'll tell you what has to happen. We're talking about human satisfaction, first of all. I'm going to talk about God's satisfaction. Do you ever think about God's satisfaction? What satisfies God? What makes God happy? Listen, friend, I want to tell you this. And please don't ever forget it. The single most important thing about the gospel is this. If God isn't satisfied, nobody else will be either. You see, this is a beautiful, beautiful truth. I love the book of Romans. If you're not saved tonight and you're really serious about being saved, you need to be reading your Bible. That's just warm advice to you. But listen, these are the words of eternal life. And I cannot think of a better place to turn you than to the book of Romans. The likelihood is that a great number of people in this meeting were saved through some text from the book of Romans. It works. But you know, Romans starts out very interestingly. I heard a man preaching one time. I'm not sure I would have said it this way, but he said, this is how Romans starts out. Man has been very, very bad, and God is very, very mad. I, I don't know whether I would call God mad, but I, I thought that was just a good summary. Our sin is an absolute offense to the holiness of the God who made us. God didn't design us to sin. This is a broken design. Sin has marred what God expected. And listen, unless that rent can be healed, unless that rupture can be repaired, unless that guilty distance can be bridged. Friend, listen, there is no possibility of blessing or satisfaction or salvation for you and me. God must be satisfied. You see, when I come to Romans chapter 3, I discover one of the most glorious truths in all of the Bible. It's just this, that God in the Lord Jesus at the cross set him forth to be, now don't abandon ship, he set him forth to be a propitiation through his blood. Now, propitiation is like the avalanche barrier that deflects the wrath. Well, that's part of the truth of propitiation. But there's another part of propitiation. You know what it is? It's that propitiation means that God is satisfied. In other words, the text says, God set forth the Lord Jesus to be a satisfaction through his blood. Who's being satisfied? I'll tell you who. God is being satisfied first. So there's nothing else that can deal with the matter of sin. Penance, works, religion, goodness. You know, it's nice to be good, but it's not good enough to get you to heaven. Listen, something needs to be done to satisfy God. Oh, the good news. Listen, I hope this message is going somewhere, but listen, God has been satisfied in the death of his son.
And I can prove that to you beyond any controversy because I'll tell you, God raised him from the dead. God is satisfied tonight. Now, there is a great corollary truth, and that is the truth that we preach in the gospel. First, foremost, God must be satisfied. Second, if God is satisfied, then people who receive the Lord Jesus can find satisfaction as well. See, that's why I read that just amazing story in John 4. Do you love that story? I mean, I mean, if you haven't thought about that story, just go home and read it and just luxuriate in the truth of it. Here's a lady and she's coming to the well over and over again. And there's nothing wrong with that. The problem of sin in her life had nothing to do with the well. But the Lord Jesus just takes such a simple thing and he says, listen, I've got water. I've got water that will satisfy you completely. And I'm glad that lady discovered that satisfaction can be found in Christ. Isn't that great? I discovered that. And there's people in this room, and we've discovered that not only does Christ satisfy God, Christ satisfies us. He meets our need. Erase the debt that my sin has created. He has washed the stain of sin that is on my heart. He has cleansed me and healed me. He's made me whole. Man, it's a great thing to be saved, isn't it? And I tell you what, people who are saved tonight, they love to sing, now none but Christ can satisfy no other name for me. There's love and life and lasting joy, Lord Jesus, found in thee. Why did he come? I am come that they might have life. Life that satisfies. Friend, tonight, I don't know where you are in life. I don't know about what your situation is. But I hope you'll set your heart, not on things that end when life does, things that only satisfy temporarily and that you'll receive the Savior tonight, the one who satisfied God, the one who can satisfy you. Yes, my friend, abundant life, a life that satisfies, and this is what the Lord Jesus Christ alone offers you. And all because he himself has satisfied the heart of God, he has put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. This old world just cannot deliver on its promises. So, unhappy with your life? Chasing after the wind, as Solomon would say? Then turn to Christ for true life and true satisfaction. He alone can give you the lasting peace and joy that your soul craves for. If this or any of our Bible messages here at Anchor Point has made you aware of God's interest in you, or if you'd like some literature or a visit that would help you to understand these important truths, why don't you drop us a line at email at anchorpointradio.com. We'd love to hear from you. We're glad that you were able to join us at Anchor Point today. Anchor Point is sponsored by Christians who are meeting in various gospel halls. Each of these Christian assemblies holds gospel services every Sunday night, as well as regular prayer and Bible studies throughout the week. No collection is ever taken, and a very warm welcome awaits you. And if you've been challenged by today's message, would like to know more about the truth of the gospel, or of gathering under the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, following New Testament principles, please feel free to check out our website at anchorpointradio.com. There you will find more information, as well as the location, programs, and meeting schedules for the Gospel Hall nearest you. Also, feel free to take a look at other literature and audio offers at anchorpointradio.com, where you can also subscribe to our Anchor Point podcast. My name is John Sharp, and thank you once again for listening. 
and we invite you to join us again next week at the same time for Anchor Point, where we believe that in times like these, you need a savior, and in times like these, you need an anchor.